turn up your radio, it's time for DeLorean Talk with your host, Dave Tavers. Hey everyone, a quick note before this episode starts. Zach told me that his phone had some problems before we started recording, and we had a few problems, but the audio turns out pretty well by the end. Also, this episode should be marked explicit. Uh, Zach uses much more colorful language than I do, so you probably shouldn't have kids listening uh, to this episode. Enjoy! Hi everybody, welcome back to another episode of DeLorean Talk. Happy that you are listening and uh, still enjoy the show. As you can see by clicking on the link or uh, the podcast title, I'm super excited today to have John DeLorean's son, Zach DeLorean, on the show with us. And uh, Zach, thank you for taking the time. Uh, yeah, anytime, man. You know, I'm happy to be here and, and uh, answer some questions for you. Cool. So to get started, basically, I got to meet Zach. Do you prefer Zach or Zachary? Uh, Zach is fine. Cool. Yeah, if you if you call me Zach, I'll be looking for my mother over my shoulder. So everybody <laughs> just calls me Zach. <laughs> cool. <laughs> DCS just happened uh, this last weekend for for us. Uh, this is August 2021, and you came to the event, and that's when I got to meet you. And several people said, "Oh, you got to get Zach on the show." I said, "If he's willing and interested," and thankfully you were. So a lot of DeLorean owners over the years we know of you and your sister and your mom. Over the years, your dad came to at least one DeLorean event. I know he's met a lot of DeLorean owners before he passed. Your sister has come to stuff. People have met her and know your sister. I don't know that your mom has ever done anything, but you were the one that everybody's like, oh, you know, we know that he has a son, but you just disappeared. Eventually, in this call, we'll talk about that, but for people that didn't even know that DCS happened this year, that's what happened. Zach was invited and came and had a fantastic time. So we'll talk about DCS in a little bit. You okay. have been gone, um, I will say, well, gone from our community, the DeLorean community, for 35-plus years. So people don't know anything about you. And I, we would love to hear your story and whatever you're willing to share. Uh, I, I think a good place to start is kind of your beginning with the DeLorean family. During the Q&A at DCS, you said you were adopted. I honestly didn't know that. That's correct. As I've talked to other DeLoreaners, they're like, oh, yeah, I read that somewhere. So one question would be, how old were you when you joined the DeLorean family? So I was uh, born on October 24th, 1971, up in Detroit, Michigan. Detroit law, or at least at the time, it may have changed since then. I I don't really know. But when a mother puts a, a child up for adoption, the child stays with the mother for... I think it was like seven days or something like that. So basically, once that period was up, I went home to my dad. He was obviously John DeLorean. I uh, didn't know who he was at the time, obviously. So <laughs> so you were literally, I mean, you were adopted as a baby. It wasn't old. You weren't older. Oh, basically, I came out of the oven and went home with my dad. Got it. Got it. Okay. Because yeah. that was, for some yeah. reason, uh, a couple of us were trying to think, we thought that maybe you went, you know, when you were 10 or something, but no, you, so you were adopted as a baby. Cool. Yeah. So my dad's the only man I've ever known as my father. Cool. You know what I mean? So it wasn't like I was put up for adoption and put in the foster care system or anything like that. Cool. So uh, that was also something, well, I was already surprised that you were adopted, but 
Christina Ferrari, which you said you consider her your mother, but that wasn't your mother when when John took you home. No, I believe he was married to Kelly Harmon at the time. Got it. But everything I'm kind of recapping for you right now yeah. is obviously I don't remember any of it. So it's <laughs> everything that, you know, my parent, my mom, Christina and John have told me throughout the years. You know what I mean? So, and I really like when it comes to me being adopted and marriage and this, that, and the other thing, they have no to lie to me about anything. So I'm just yeah. Yeah. telling you guys what, what was told to me. Sure. So. so did you know Kelly? How long did that last before you, uh, before Christina was your mom? Uh, I don't remember Kelly. Okay. To be honest with you, uh, there's only like bits and pieces of things I remember living in Detroit at the time and, and being real young and, you know, kindergarten that, or nursery school and that kind of stuff. So I think Kelly and my father got divorced in like, I think it was like 72 or 73. And then he married Christina, my mom think in in the spring of uh 74 got it and so by that time you're two three years old i don't most people don't remember when they're two or three years old so makes sense yeah i don't i don't really remember a whole lot actually at all i remember my dad would come home from work and it was it's weird because i remember sitting on his lap he'd have the news on it at the time we were in the vietnam war and because I think what the Vietnam War ended in 75 or something like that. And um, for some reason, I remember just like pictures of soldiers on the team. Because back then, the way the military handles like reporters nowadays, yeah, as opposed to Vietnam, Vietnam, they were like, reporters were actually in the middle of the shit. You know what I mean? Like bolts flying, that kind of stuff. Embedded. Yeah. Nowadays, you got like Brian Gumbel sitting on a balcony at his hotel watching the... (laughs) you know, bombs being dropped over Baghdad right. or whatever the hell, or wherever we were in the first Gulf War. But, and then my dad had a dog, it was a big old Husky. And I remember being outside and there was some kind of like, like water fountain or something. But anyway, I remember the dog kind of knocking me into the water <laughs> and, you know, and then me running inside. But outside of like that, I don't really remember, like I have no real recollection of, of really many things. At, at that particular time. So. Got it. Well, still a good memory sitting in your dad's lap and getting bumped by the dog into the water fountain. That's funny. Yeah. 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 It's kind of, kind of bizarre. So <laughs> that was in Detroit. Do you remember when you guys moved to? Yeah, that was in Detroit. And then, you know, I don't know exactly what your, I should know this history about my dad, my dad, but I don't, but uh, I think by the time he married my mom, I think it was 74. He may have already left GM that I'm sure. My thinking is that they started working on the DeLorean car in like 76 or 78. And I thought that the the transition was pretty quick between GM and his car company, but I'm not an expert. I don't know. Yeah, that I don't know. Cause the way in the documentary has it, when they do the little reenactments, yeah, there's a scene, and I believe where he's sitting with Bill, and then my mom comes in with the lemonade and stuff, and I think that was in Detroit. Okay, so my guess would be that he was starting to put all that together back in the you know like maybe somewhere between like seventy five and seventy seven. 
And then I think that we moved, I believe we, so my mom was working as a model. I believe she was working for Ford modeling agency at the time. Yet again, this is history I should know and I don't, but, um, it's okay. From my mom, you know, I mean, she's becoming a, a top model around the country, around the globe, probably at that time. And so her career, a lot of, you know, a lot of the shootings and apes and, and, you know, big companies and things like that, you know, they're based out of pretty much East Coast, West Coast, which would be New York and LA. You know, probably LA area. Yeah. So I think we moved to uh, New York probably within a year or two, maybe after they got married. Because I don't remember going to kindergarten in Detroit, but I remember going to kindergarten in New York City. So whatever, what is that, like four, maybe? Yeah. Catherine was born in uh, 77. In 77, okay. I'm guessing probably moved in sometime between like 74, 75, maybe. To New York, all right. Yeah. At this point, you're old enough to, you start remembering that. You remember moving to New York from Detroit? I remember the school, kindergarten. I remember my mom, I believe when uh, my mom was pregnant, she went into labor. So I remember like, I went into the hospital. I remember like bits and pieces of, you know, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade. Uh, fifth grade, um, fifth grade from then on, a lot of things, things got more clear right around fifth grade, I think for me, because that's about the time my dad got arrested. So, um, you were 10, 11 at that point. Probably. Yeah. So he was, he was arrested, what, in 82. So right before my, I was born in 71, yeah. that I was 10 years old by the time he got arrested. I was just about to, to turn 11. Well, let's go back for a sec because, a lot of people over the years have seen the film of you in Dunmurray at the DeLorean factory with your dad. I personally think it's super endearing. He was so concerned about you being cold. Uh, he kept asking, are you, are you warm enough? Are you warm enough? You, you guys had those matching DeLorean jackets. And at one point your dad says, and you keep saying, no, I'm fine. And he says, I don't know how you're not cold. I'm freezing. And I, I just think it's funny. What do you remember of that trip? So I'm going to like kind of jump a little ahead sure. to the, uh, yeah. cause it, it kind of pertains to what you're asking me. Yeah. So the DCS week, four or five days, whatever it was, they had a lot of people talking and, uh, that trip actually came up with, uh, Don, I forget his name, his last name. He was a reporter for uh car and driver on what he said. Yeah. So, like my whole, like I didn't really realize that all those reporters, and I may have met them all before we got on the plane. But You're ten years old, you know, I don't remember <laughs> that. Yeah, well, who could remember who they met at ten if it wasn't your family? Right. Well, and it was funny because an hour before that, we went out. I went out to lunch with a bunch of bunch of the guys, and uh, were, they were asking me, you know, do you ever go to the factory? So I'm telling them the story about the factory, and then an hour later, I'm listening to this car and driver reporter talking about the trip and I'm like, I don't, you know, and I'm sitting in the in the seat in the audience. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I didn't know he was on there with a bunch of reporters. So it's kind of a, I got a lot of history out of that whole trip, which was pretty bizarre, you know, learning things and meeting people that had met me that I, I just 
remember they met me like you know almost 40 years ago 40 years ago have you know and i've got no clue it's just been so (laughs) different since then we flew over on the concord and we landed in england and we stayed in london my dad and i and i'm assuming everybody else as well i don't you know i don't really remember all that but uh part of that trip him and i spent a lot of time together we went to uh National History Museum in, in, in London. Cool. Um, and super, super old museum. Uh, and then you know you watch the changing of guards at the palace. Oh, cool. Which was which was pretty interesting. You know those those dudes with those big tall furry hats. Right. And shit. The Q-tips. Yeah. Yeah. It was just you and your dad. Your mom didn't come. Your sister was still young. No. No. Uh, just me and my dad. Cool. And. Kind of obviously he was there on business and uh, would, would he uh, like promotion for the car company? Yeah. I always viewed it as a father son trip, and, and it was, so for him it was a combination of both. For me it was just more time spending time with my dad and and uh, you know just some one on one time. Prior to that trip, did you guys spend a lot of time together at, at ten years old? Oh yeah, my dad was. Oh yeah. Absolutely. As a family, as long as, you know, my mom wasn't, didn't have some sort of sh- going on and my dad didn't have to fly anywhere. You know, we had dinner as a family every night. We, you know, I'd watch TV with him after I supposedly got all my homework done, which <laughs> I think I really ever did. So, <laughs> so I always remember my family, my parents being home all the time, you know, obviously unless there was like some sort of career right type thing going on so my parents you know my mom grew up in a very uh traditional kind of italian household so she was very family oriented my dad you know he had four brothers his mom and his and his father although his family or the household for my dad was a little let's just say dysfunctional at times so really it, it was more about you know i think he was he was close with a few of his brothers and his mother, you know, but, uh, you know, uh, how do I put it? I, I guess that, you know, my mom was, was more family oriented. Yeah. Not that my father wasn't. It was just, it sounds like she probably had a stronger background that kept the family closer than your dad had the experience. Correct. Of. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. You know, and then like, you know, my dad, um, and I always had a couple conversations over years about stuff like this, but um, his dad was a real bad drunk. He used to drink a lot. So when when his mother just couldn't deal with it anymore, she loaded up the kids and they went out to California to stay for however long. Then they come back, and then, and so that was like I guess a vicious cycle. Yeah. And so I think that's you know having me, my mom, and my sister, and keeping us uh, so close together, and and trying to like have with us every night and things like that. I think that's kind of what drove that and what became important for my father. But my mom was always the one playing the family vacation or going out to dinner. She was like kind of the glue that kept the four of us together. You know what I yeah. mean? So Moms generally are those ones. It's not that dads are bad, just that's the motherly instinct. So that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's what's you know, whether we like to talk about it or not, I mean, nowadays men are the pariah, you know, right. and, and it's like, no, we, we're, we're two totally, I'm not, I don't have that nurturing quality. I can't give birth. I don't right. know what, you know what I, I it's, 
yeah, sorry, man, but it's no, like, no, that's the gender thing. That's why women women are more loving and nurturing, and men are the you know the hunter gatherers and take care of the family thing. Yeah, right. Yeah, I don't like to talk about any of that. Side of the a whole nother topic of conversation. Exactly. But. So going back for just a second, um, because of your dad's upbringing, your dad did not drink at all. Yeah, drank. I mean, he just you know he would. You know, he'd be sitting in the living room, you know, and he'd, he'd treat, have two or three, maybe four glasses of wine a night, you know, and then go off to bed and oh, okay. watching TV or writing in a journal or something. But I understanding what it was like his father used to like to go out on payday and a few bucks, get drunk with the guys. And then they, you know, at a bar and they'd all end up getting into other, you know, crazy shit. Now, that was the condition. He drank wine, but he wasn't a hard drinker. No, he, he wasn't. You know, he, I, I never saw him with a scotch or a bourbon. You know, I always saw him drinking wine, white or red. Cool. It's going back because I cut you off right in the Concord. Did you even understand how rare that was at 10 years old, or was that just your normal life? Because your dad had already been an executive for a long time. So I can answer that two ways. <laughs> um, <laughs> so at the time, I didn't really know what playing that but as i've now that i'm older it's like oh damn dude i flew on the concord <laughs> yeah so you get to london and you're hanging out with your dad and you said you were like having lunch with some of the guys so that he had a crew with them of people and i imagine that they were watching over you your dad would go to a meeting and you were hanging out with whoever was watching you at the time yeah so in london you know nobody really looked after me i'd go so i you know my dad and i would do our stuff and Maybe he had like luncheons. I, you know, I don't remember all the day to day stuff out of it. I just remember little bits and pieces of it. But, um, when we flew over to Ireland to go to the company, I guess he would like run in, have, have to have a business meeting, I guess. So I forget the guy's name. I think his name was Peter. I can't remember. But anyway, uh, he took me around, took me for a ride in one of the cars, showed me the whole plant. Was it full production, or had they just started on the cars? Do you remember that? The gentleman I was with gave me a tour of the whole factory, and there was there was workers and all kinds of shit going on in there. Cool. I'm assuming at that point, you know, they were they were already starting to manufacture the cars. Cool. Do you remember how long that visit was at the factory? Oh, uh, we were there for no more than a day. So we flew there and then flew back the same day. And did you spend most of the time at the factory that day? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the reporters like on who is down there at the DTS, like he, I'm pretty sure we flew. It was only a day trip to our, you know, over to the, over the factory, but don't quote me on that. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, we could have stayed in a hotel there that night and I just don't remember it. Right. Right. So again, from our perspective, you've been gone for 35 plus years. There's another event called Eurofest, which is like DCS, but it's over there in Europe. I don't think you've delved into all of the DeLorean community stuff until last week. Yeah. Cool. The only reason, like, uh, so what you were saying about Eurofest, a lot of me getting involved in some of this stuff over the last 15 years, because it's right around when my dad died in 05, is, is Tamir approached me. To do, he was doing a documentary. And when he came to interview me, he gave me a, a DVD he made. I think it's Eurofest. 2000 or 2001 somewhere in there and i have the dvd it's 
buried in a closet somewhere. <laughs> I had no fucking clue about. I knew there was a following for my dad's car, but I didn't think it was like what it was when I went to DS. And nice. apparently, that's like a small thing. Not not a small thing in his. I didn't not look. I, what I meant to say was like. There wasn't a lot of people there this year. Correct. Just because of all the stuff going on, yeah. And I was like, well, I was like, what? <laughs> kind of blew me away, man, to be honest with you. Trust me, I'm excited to talk about that because it sounds like you just had a great time. So you're 10 years old. You get to go to the factory. You get to spend time with your dad in, over in Europe. Growing up, it sounds like you had a great life and he was a good dad. Let's jump over to, unless you have something to share, let's jump fast forward to the the arrest. and. We've seen the documentary and the, the reenactment. Um, I think somebody asked you at DCS about how accurate it was and, uh, you said pretty accurate. That was, you know, Tamir interviewed you and got your story and tried to reenact that. For everybody listening now, up until when that phone call came in, when you found out that your dad got arrested, I'm guessing it was just a normal life. Like, there was nothing crazy or weird going on. Your dad was busy a lot building a new car. Any memories around that? Um, did he talk about starting the company at home, at dinner, or was that did he not talk about business at home? So, like, my dad would bring home the car driver magazine with the car on the front, you know, on the, on the test track with the Ferrari, everything that uh, Don showed us at the at the convention. And then, like, he'd bring home another magazine from, like, track with the car on it. I had, I had like, a bunch of DMC ties that um, actually were, you know, in the museum. Not The ones in the museum at the DCS were not mine personally, but I had ties that looked exactly like that. Nice. He'd bring me, like, some DMC stuff or, you know, things like that, and I don't have any of it anymore. I mean, I have a few things and a, couple, a bunch of the stuff I'm selling, but... Because the stuff that I'm selling, and I just want to make this clear, like, it's not that I'm not proud. It's just it really should go into somebody's collection who is going to preserve it. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I got a coat that I'm selling, and I was telling my buddy was selling it for me. I was like, look, man, this really should go into a collection. Because if I ever end up owning a piece of property and I need fire I throw that thing on, I'm going to get bar and chain and sawdust all over it. You know, <laughs> I'm going to trash the hell out of it. So, yeah. Um, so we didn't really like silly talk or, or anything like that. Just, you know, how was school? How was work? How was this? How's, how's your friends? We, you know, we're going to, you know, and that's kind of how my love. Now, so like I'd be at school and somebody, because of the golden doors, there you get questions like, "Can your dad's car fly?" Oh, that's funny. You know, and you're like, <laughs> I mean, even at third, fourth, fifth grade, I knew the answer to that question. You know, <laughs> so so for me, all up until the arrest is, is you know, it was just very day to day. I think you know the way a lot of families lives, and it's just my parents happen to be more in the. Yeah. I know you got into rally cars and motorcycles later, but at 10, were you into cars yet? Mm, not really. By that point, I knew how to ride a motorcycle. So that's kind of what I started getting into. So um, cars, not so much. But so what was I wanted to be? I wanted to, wanted to race uh, motocross professionally. 
You said that at DCS that you wanted to, but you were not as crazy as those guys. Yeah, and I, you know, it takes a it takes a pretty serious like type of talent to get on a motocross track with thirty other guys going sixty miles over a bunch of triples. You know what I mean? So, just, I just don't think I was genuinely inclined to be <laughs> a runner. <laughs> you know, makes any sense. But crazy and talented, and it's one thing when you're on a trail with your buddy. You know, you're you're playing that race scenario over in your head, but you know, come game time, man, it's a different mindset. It's, uh, it's just something I just could never quite develop to to become. Yeah. So now your dad gets arrested. You are have no idea what's going on because kids don't understand that stuff. What memories do you have of that? You know, what uh, what happened at that point? So pretty much there when my mom got the phone played that in the, they had that in the documentary. I remember something different. Uh, my mom remembers something different about that phone call, like the aftermath, the events that there followed like immediately in the apartment. But we were both there. You know, and I said it in the documentary, you know, it's like at that point, I, I thought somebody had fucking died. And my mom was, she came across to me as very upset. And probably more upset than I'd ever seen her. So I figured like something, something had happened to one of, one of our family members in California, like what happened? I don't, you know, what I was thinking happened to somebody. I don't know. I don't remember that, but just something real bad. Yeah. And then she, uh, sat me down had said that, uh, this, you know, maybe or two later, I can't remember that my father had been arrested, that dad had been arrested. And, um, I can't remember if she specifically said what for. And uh, at the time, there's a guy that um, my dad would have lunch with in New York, became friends with uh, Herb Stiegel, who was president of Chris Craft Industries, which was the company that built the Chris Craft boats. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're real, you know, over the years, they, they, they had become real famous. And he was married to a woman named Ann, so... Urban and and Mr. Siegel came over. We were sitting in, in my dad's study library, and I was from him and on my knee and said, you know, don't worry, we're going to get you out of this. And that was like from the phone call, like two or three hours later, you know, after all that kind of went that what I remember going down in the apartment in the documentary. They have, I think, yeah, I think it was the documentary. The actual video of mom in the airport and getting plane and talking to reporters real quick and uh so the documentary kind of filled in for me video footage i'd never seen for you know a lot of that i didn't have you know so my outlook things is because that documentary has really changed my relationship with my mother um it's actually and it's provided with a part of my history that I didn't know was there. So, yeah, um, yeah, that phone call kind of fucking sucked, to be honest with you. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I, I don't imagine any parent is going to fill their kids in too much on the things that happened during that time, you know, with the court. It, kids aren't going to understand, and it's, you know, it's your, your parents. How long before you feel like things... I don't want to say went back to normal, but, uh, you know, when your dad got out of jail, he's obviously, he's stressed out, but 
how long before your your normal family life turned back to or or did it ever go back to family dinners and that kind of thing? Um, I can't really give you a time frame. Uh, just one I don't remember, and I think you, I think I kind of lost track of the day to day stuff. I know my mom pulled me out of school about seven days because of reporters and all kinds of other stuff. Oh yeah, and then it was obviously I was distraught about a bunch of stuff. Like I was out of maybe five something like that, and you know I don't ever really go back to being. I mean, like, you know, we still did family dinners. We still, we'd go out to, uh, prior to my dad getting arrested, he had bought a, a piece of property in New Jersey, and we'd spend weekends and holidays out there. I think we spent, like, that Thanksgiving, Christmas out, and New Year's out there in, in New Jersey. That's the Bedminster house, right? Correct. Chuck now owns it's a golf course. Right, right. Something you had mentioned during DCS was you had great memories of in New Jersey on that property on that giant farm. Is you that's when you started riding motorcycles a lot, right? Yeah, a lot more. Um, so like up until uh, my dad bought the property, I really only got to ride a couple times a year because he had a ranch out in Palma Valley, California, and that's where my little I had a little Honda 50, and that's where that thing was. And then until he bought the property in New Jersey, we would always like be in New York City. So then I think he bought the property for a couple reasons. So that his main reason was he he wanted to, to develop it at some point and turn it into a golf course with a bunch of homes on it, going to keep some of the property. And so when he bought the property, I think that was his goal. Um, and then also provided us to like get out of New York City, spend summers out there. And then that's when I really started riding a lot more like every weekend and then on holiday, that kind of thing. That's awesome. Like you said, Trump built a golf course era. That's cool that your dad had that vision that much longer ago. He was going to do the same thing. Yeah, well, my dad was real into golf. He had uh, I keep long how many country clubs to belong to, but um, <laughs> apparently it was it was like you know two or three of them all over the place. Wow. And then at the farm went into this closet, there'd be like six sets of golf clubs and golf bags in there. So he was real into playing golf, man. I don't, and to this day, I don't understand that obsession <laughs> where I work. Guys come in, they play golf all day. My boss plays on the week. I'm like, Dude, I don't get it, man. I, I just like, how the hell do you throw everything in the pond? man? I just don't have the patience for that shit. Dude. Yeah. So, so I, you know, I, that, that was always his goals. So it was, you know, he didn't buy it for us to have like a Christmas tree and Christmas at, and he sure as hell didn't buy it. So I had a place, you know, he wasn't buying it. Oh, my son needs a place to ride a bike, so I'm just going to buy this property. <laughs> I think he he ultimately had like really wanted to develop it. So yeah. right before the bankruptcy court and hearing, and then we lost the property. Like I was, uh, it's a long story, but like I ended up having to sit in a a couple meetings with these golf course developers trying to come in and buy the property and stuff it was late nineties. Wow. Um, yeah. So the whole time that he owned it, I think 20, 20, 20 years or whatever, like I, I think in the back of his mind, that was always his goal was to, to develop that so that he had a place to live, had some money in the bank. And then of course he was trying to still, even all through the nineties, uh, he was trying to, 
start another car. So right, very cool. Yeah, I mean, your dad was a smart guy and he was a business guy, so it makes sense that he would have wanted to buy some land and develop it and and uh, have something in the long term. Yeah, something you had mentioned recently about that you and your sister had to go deal with the bankruptcy court and and that kind of thing for some of the assets your dad had set aside for you. But let's take a step back for a second. Your relationship with your sister, like I said, most DeLorean owners that are active in the community are aware that your sister exists. She's been to stuff and she's friendly to the community. How close are you? Have you been over the years with your sister? Cause you're only a couple of years apart and how close are you guys now? We're, uh, we're six years apart in age. So I'll be 15 this October. So She'll turn 43 right after I took. She was born in November. I was born in October. So uh, my sister and I live with my mother, and then my mom got remarried to uh, Tony Thermopolis, who's our stepdad. And so me, I was always kind of after the trial. I guess I was I was always a quiet kid to begin with, probably pretty introverted. And then with the trial and everything, the you know the everybody recognized the name, not just because of the car, but also because of the trial. A lot of DMC uh, community doesn't talk about this stuff, but, you know, right after that, man, that's what people focused on. They didn't focus on, like, you know, the car or talk about the car. It was always like, you know, if I said my name somewhere, you know, they'd always, you know, somebody always had a smart-ass remark or some fucking stupid. Yeah. And I got into quite a few arguments and scrapes and bumps and bruises and, you know, and gotten a lot of trouble and things like that. So I was always off kind of doing my stuff and so like my sister you know I was coming into my teenage years my sister was she hadn't even been turned 10 yet when my dad was arrested you know and then like just like any other brother and sister you know when you're when you're the older brother and you you don't want your little sister around with when your friends are over right you know it's that kind of shit you know normal kid stuff right so like I, I always loved my sister and I always kind of felt you know um, especially as I got older or a little bit more protective of her. Um, we didn't really hang out very much. We didn't really necessarily do a whole lot of stuff together. You know, I would always be out on like that. So with my friends and then, you know, my sister had her little friends and sure. stuff like that. But as we got older, then I moved back to the East Coast to live with my dad in 1980, I think summer of 88. And uh, my sister stayed in California. And then at some point she moved back to live with my dad. I'm not sure how all that came about. By the time she had moved back, she was already going into high school or in high school. And I was living in upstate New York and Washington, D.C., living my life because I would be like, I'm in my early 20s. So when you were in your early 20s, were you still living with your dad or had you moved out and started your your own things by then? No, I tried going to community college. Then I tried going to art school. Dad and I, we were a little bit on the outs with each other, probably for a couple of years. Um, I thought I knew more than he did. <laughs> <laughs> and so my dad's like, I think my dad's position was like, all right, dude, I've had it. You know, I'll see you in a couple of years. Come home, you know, yep. and you fall on your face and you, know, you kick off a few times. You're like, okay, maybe he did know more than I do. So, <laughs> yep. So, yeah, I was out and uh, living in, I lived out in upstate New York for a couple of years to go to community college. That, that wasn't working. Then I moved down to D.C. for a couple of years, went to art school. That wasn't working. And then I came home and, and lived on the farm and sort of 
trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, my sister was still there at the time and she's now being a teenager and, you know, her and I, and I moved back in the house and we'd butt heads and, you know, constantly arguing and some other stuff like that. doesn't mean I didn't care about her and love her. It's yeah. just like, you know, it's just brother, sister, sibling yep. crap. And then she was dating a guy who's uh, the father of my nephew, Kevin. They moved in New York. My sister, she wanted to go into modeling. That didn't really work out. I'm not really too sure why that didn't work out. Yeah, she's gorgeous, and your mom is obviously gorgeous. So Yeah, I mean, I've got photos of some of the headshots my of mother and some of my sister, and they look identical. I mean, yeah. it's, it's scary, crazy how, how much they look alike when they're modeling. And then she had moved into New York, and then uh, she ended up having my nephew, Kevin. I forget how old she was. I think she was in her 20s. And her and her husband, Matt, at the time, who was Kevin's dad, they moved back to California. The history there is a little wonky. It's all over the place. Um, Did you start getting closer at that point? mm, Not not really. Just different life choices in different parts of the country? Yeah, I think I was into my stuff, and she was doing her thing, and sure. talk once in a while, and, and things like that. And then when I moved to here to Cincinnati in 2003, her and I were kind of talking, and, and then our dad died. And then, I don't know what, what year, but I started drinking pretty heavily. This was after my dad had died. I was just becoming a real prick. And so we stopped talking for a really, really long time. Quite a few years, actually. I I don't know how many years, but it was definitely more than two. Hmm. So she was, you know, she had to protect herself and, you know, emotionally and and stuff. And, and, I mean, I was living in Cincinnati. She was down in Texas. And uh, uh, so I get it. You know, I mean, I I understand. I I lost two good friends in the last about five years ago because my, my drinking was still pretty heavy. I was drinking pretty heavy for almost a whole decade. So, you know, my friends that they had to distance themselves. And so, you know, I get the whole thing. So, yeah, you know, now better and talk when we can, you know, life stuff. I'm working, got the dog. She's got her kids and trying to fix up a house that she lives in New Hampshire. And so, you know, we try and keep in touch and documentary, I think really helped pull things together for us. Good. So I'm wondering how much your dad has affected your life as an adult after he's passed away. All of it. So when you said you guys didn't know what to expect when I got up there, I I heard a couple different versions from people who told me the same thing. Yeah. And uh, some guy thought I was just going to be some rich, uptight fucking prick. And (laughs) kind of, I guess I kind of dispelled some of the, assumptions that I am, you know, up there. And I'm glad I went. I'm glad I could have changed people's opinions of me by going up there. And, you know, they tell me, yeah, we thought you were going to be an uptight prick wearing a suit. And here you are drinking beers with us till 3.30 in the morning in the hotel room. I'm like, yeah, man. You know, like, nope, there's no money. I've got one coat and one tie, you know, so... (laughs) That is one of those questions that a lot of people assume. You come from a a well-to-do family, and DeLorean owners, we've read all this stuff. Lawyers took everything, basically, and your dad struggled for many years. You are a hard freaking worker, man. You said you have done tree trimming for years. You did cabinetry, carpentry. You've been a bartender and a server. I've done a couple of those jobs, and they are hard jobs. So 
there's no question in my mind from meeting you and talking to you, you're a hard worker. Presumably, there was no family money left that you could just sit back on a – Well, not after he died. And then in 2000, the bankruptcy happened. We lost the farm. Uh, and I just want to say one thing. I mean, I have had money in my lifetime. Like when my sister was born, Herb Siegel gave me and my sister like $10,000 or 10,000 shares or $10,000 in Chris Kraft stock. Nice. And so by the time I got my hands on it, my dad gave it to me when I was living in upstate New York. It was probably worth $150,000. Nice. So I basically pissed that away. You know, and that's happened a couple times in my lifetime. Uh, my dad gave me some, you know, like 50K or whatever it was or the Chris Kraft stock, and it's fucking gone. And then we lost the farm. That's gone. And then my dad died, his wife and that's a whole nother story with the will and everything else like that. And then she turned around and I think she sued the company down in Texas and they settled out of court and she took that money. And it took me a long time to figure this out. And I'm not exactly too sure when and where I figured this out or when it clicked. Yeah. But my mom and I, you know, she told me because her and I would get into arguments in the 90s and her and I had a real rough, rocky relationship for a very, very long time. And I was complaining about money and I was in my 20s and why can't I have this money and blah, blah, blah. I was, you know, I was becoming a fucking little rich prick. And she told me, she goes, it's not your money. It took me, oh, many, many years to understand that. So then when the farm's gone, I, you know, I don't have a place, you know, if I moved away, I could always go back home. Well, right. Can't, I can't, there's nowhere for me to go. Everything nowadays. I mean, I, you know, my family's helped me out throughout the years. My mom's helped me out with uh, some rent, helped me cover like a month's worth of rent or something like that. Especially after last year with COVID and restaurants, I lost my 2020 tax return as opposed to my 2019. I lost six grand in wages because the fucking government decides that they're going to shut everything the fuck down. So, you know, I've had help along the way, but at the end of the day, it's my paycheck. It's, you know, this is my life to live it the way that I see fit or things like that. And I've probably pissed away a couple of good opportunities in my lifetime. And at the time, you know, I don't know why I would, would have done something like that, but you got to get up and go to work in the morning, man, you yeah. know, and that's just something that I learned. And my dad tried to teach that to me, my mom, a few lessons talking to my mom and things like that. And, you know, nobody's coming to save my ass. So you, you know, you just got to get up and feed the dog and shower and go to work. At some point you have to grow up when you realize there's not the family house to go back to. Correct. You know, and that, that kind of came for me when I moved to Ohio and I started doing tree work. After about a year doing that, they put me with uh, this guy who's who became my foreman for a couple of years. And he really taught me what hard work was about. Um, his name's Carl Grant. Love the guy. He's I think he's up in Massachusetts. I haven't seen or talked to him for a year or two. I should probably give him a call. But he showed me what work, physical work was about. You either do the job or get off the job site. <laughs> right. He has a family to feed. He has a wife and kids, and he's got a small farm to take care of. And, you know, he has his own obligations. And if I'm on the job fucking it up, then you're causing the company to lose money. It takes us too long to do the job. It, yeah. You know, and then you're cutting into time and a half. And, and the list goes on. Now, it took me about 
oh, a couple months of working with him to figure all that out. And he was very patient with me. So it's good. And then from that point on, it's like I've taken the stance of like, don't fuck with my paycheck, don't fuck with my money, and just go to work. Just get the job done. Yeah. Nobody's gonna, unless you want to cut me a check for three hundred grand. You know, <laughs> right? I mean, I'll, I'll take a couple years off work. That's fine. But unless that happens, that I, you know, that's on me. So. Right. So you said is when you moved to Cincinnati when that happened. When did you quote unquote grow up? When did you realize that? you're in charge of your life? Uh, Probably right around like 31, 32, maybe somewhere in there. Yeah. During that whole time, one of the questions I had asked you at DCS was about the family name. Over those years, uh, before you started, you know, working on things yourself, how much did the family name follow you? We all can drive the DeLorean and, People love it and they have these great memories, but we can leave it in the garage. We don't live with the name. Anytime you're out in public and you say the name Zach DeLorean, I would have guessed that a lot of people would be like, wait a second, like the car? What has been your adult life experience having that name? So it's like basically nowadays, I think the car is kind of out of sight, out of mind. Uh, The drug stuff is kind of out of sight, out of mind. So a lot of people, like if they're older, they recognize the name or like when I go to a store and I'm, I don't know, I'm buying groceries or something or, and they want my email or they want my name or, you know, you know, how you got to put all that crap in. Yeah. They're like, can we have your name? So I'm like DeLorean and they're like, Oh, that's a cool last name. But they're like 25 years old. They don't really, <laughs> you know, they don't, you know, so it's the gambit. It's the spectrum. You know what I mean? And it's weird because the, the name, like when I say my last name, it doesn't really draw attention, but like driving around with you guys this week, this past week in the car and everything, man, the car itself is like a fucking magnet. Yeah. I mean, it's like a fucking magnet. So for you guys on one hand, you're dealing with the physical aspect of it. I mean, how the hell can you drive that car anywhere and not get attention? <laughs> right. Yeah. I can go places and people probably won't know the last name. Yeah. Yeah. Now I think before the DCS thing, I was always apper, you know, I'm, Somebody asks me my name, I give them my last name, or, you know, and in the back of my head, I'm like, oh, fuck, here it comes, you know. <laughs> After spending time with you guys up, up in Chicago area, I don't necessarily have that going on in my head anymore. Good. So between the documentary and then a couple years later going up and spending time with you guys has really changed my outlook on a lot of things. You were saying, oh, you know, fuck, he hates the car. And there's some truth to that. I was just trying to like in the docu both documentaries, the one that Netflix bought and then the one I did with Tamir. I was just trying to show my thinking and trying to understand and, and present my point of view on an issue that is volatile one way or the other in in my world or in life. And I was just trying to give an honest portrayal to people to let them know, hey man, this is my side of the story and when I see the car I have, I feel this emotion and then I feel the opposite emotion. One minute I'm proud of it and that's real cool. And the other minute it represents a really bad time for me in my life. Yeah. And I just kind of wish the whole thing would blow up because our society today is so like you're either on this side or you're on this side and there's no room for in between. Yeah. And I always try to give people in between, you know, here's, here's my dad. Here's a guy who, really wanted to see his dream 
and gotten into some trouble and you know and how far would you be willing to go to save that yeah and i think sometimes that may get lost in translation so i that's how i felt for about you know 35 40 years with the car you know it, it represented something really good and it represented something real bad and for 40 years i've been wrestling between the two emotions and trying to figure out all this shit on my own because it's like yeah i can't really talk to anybody about it yeah what really changed a lot of things was when the documentary came, both documentaries came out. And then what really changed it for me was when I went up to Chicago to the DCS, you know? Yeah, man, that, that was a pretty profound experience, man. Me, me spending time up there with you guys. Awesome. We only heard about DCS even happening like two and a half months before it was happening. Okay. And then probably a month before the event that we saw that, Oh, Zach DeLorean is confirmed. Whoever invited you, your initial thought was what? So I'm on Facebook, and through Facebook, you do mess, and they have, like, you know, their version of text messaging. Yeah. And the documentary came out. I start getting these text messages through Facebook. You know, people look me up, and then they message me, and then, you know, we become friends. We are send something back or whatever. And, you know, I'm getting these text messages from, like, Chicago, California, Florida, <laughs> New Zealand, Australia, fucking France, England. I'm like, there's that many people fucking watching this thing? Like, you know? And, you know, and who the fuck am I, you know? I mean, I gave them like 13 hours, two days worth of interview, and they used total maybe like five minutes in it, which is fine because it was all about the, the car and my dad and how he got to where he got and all that other stuff. So I'm like, what the hell is going? This is fucking totally bizarre because my whole life I have been very, very quiet. You know, I just go out and I do my thing and it is what it is. So Tamir calls me up. I think that what the documentary came out in like the summer of 2019. And then I think he, he called me up in like September, October. And he goes, listen, man, my buddy Rich wants to do this event in 2020. And they'll get your hotel room. He'll buy you, you know, your meals and get you up there and big convention, car show. And he goes, you up for it? And I was like, yeah, man, I'll go which I think kind of surprised Tamir. It surprises me that you were that ready, ready to do it because you must have been invited for the previous 20 years to stuff, right? Uh, my sister always tried to get me to go. And I was like, I'm not going to a Star Trek convention. I'm just not <laughs> fucking doing it. People are out there and they hear that. Like, I'm sorry, but that was that was always what was in my mind, you know? Yeah, a bunch of weirdos with this car, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, Dude, why the fuck are they following dad's car, man? They must be fucking crazy, you know? <laughs> fuck that. Like, so. When your sister would ask you, why would you say no to her? Because I just didn't want to deal with the whole scene. Because, A, I didn't know what I was walking into. I didn't want to be around a bunch of... Because Back to the Future had such a profound effect in the way people view the car. Plus, people love the Back to the Future trilogy. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like the same thing, like, and I equate it to Star Trek, because, like, if you, and I've never been to one, but I've seen them, you know, people are dressed up as Spock and the whole hands and, you know, the Vulcan sure. death grip and all this other shit. And I'm like, I, why would I take time out of my weekend to go and talk to Doc Brown? It's just not going to happen. <laughs> and she's like, no, 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 no. You know, the community's real inviting and this, that, and the other. I'm like, Catherine, I'm not fucking doing it. Because in part of it, too, was I always kind of knew that people would potentially want to talk to me and things like And that's also something that I was never really comfortable with either. I'm not a, 
you know, my dad was always like to be in the spotlight or, you know, but he also had that personality and charisma to deal with those situations. You know, my sister, I think one convention, she was throwing out t-shirts, you know, and I'm like, that is not, <laughs> that is so far, not me. It's kind of surprised me a little bit because the, you know, I got this like huge outpouring of people texting me saying they love the movie. They love the car. They love, and I talk about the documentary and, you know, I've always been a car fan and you did a really great job and we feel sorry for you or whatever it is. And so it really got me thinking. So by the time Tamir called me, I'm like, man, maybe you just get your ass up there and check it out. If it's a freak show, you don't ever have to go back. (laughs) Maybe it's time you put this puppy to bed. I told Tamir, I'm like, yeah, man, that's cool. Then COVID hit. Yeah. And so I didn't really hear anything back about it. And then Tamir reached out to me sometime this spring and said, hey, man, you know, my buddy Rich is going to get this thing going. Do you still want to go? And I was like, yeah, because now by that time, I, I, you know, one night I was sitting at home and I get a text message through Facebook from this dude in Australia. So, you know what? He's a day ahead of us, right? Yeah. You know, I'm drinking beers. I'm like three beers into a six pack watching TV. <laughs> and I end up texting this guy for 45 minutes. Oh, wow. You know what I mean? So by the time to me, I'm like, yeah, man, you know, this isn't high school where people are talking shit about your dad and your mom. People actually give a shit. Yeah. I've never been very optimistic about people and human beings and their nature. And this, these people reaching out to me through, you know, text messaging. I'm like, man, maybe you should really go check this out and give it and go up there and give it a fair shake. Like somebody asks you about drugs, fucking answer them. Don't, don't be a prick. Just go up there, be a man and just do your shit and take care of it. So get in contact with Rich and him and I are talking and stuff. And he set the whole thing up. So I went up there and I spent, what I guess maybe four or five days with you guys. You know, I had a fucking blast. I mean, it was a great time. And the community was not what I thought it was going to be. You know, like, like I said, I know that this was a smaller scaled down version, but man, I had a great fucking time, man. You know, I really did. I, I had no idea that people really felt that way about my dad and the car and, and things like that. Well, on Friday night, you did a Q&A on stage for two and a half hours, which I was fantastic. You're an open book. You were so willing to share. And like you said, DeLorean owners are, we're fans of your dad and we've thought about and heard of you for a long time, but you just, you weren't anywhere. You weren't accessible. You didn't talk to anybody. So we didn't know what the story was going to be. And you were so sharing and it was wonderful to, to have you open up your heart and your life experiences to us. Thanks for saying all that. I, I, you know, it kind of blows me away. But the reason why I, I never really was successful or maybe people thought I'd fucking died in my 30s, which I'm actually <laughs> surprised I'm still alive today, to be honest with you. I think my father would be surprised that I'm still alive today. But I wasn't trying to hide or disappear. I just I just didn't want anything to, to do with it. And it's not towards the DeLorean community. It's, no, nope, that's done. That's over. You know, I'm out and doing my thing. Um, and I've always been a pretty private, quiet person. I've tried to keep to myself and, and just kind of do my thing and live my life and, and stuff. And I, and I never really have ever really like put myself out there. And now DCS has changed for you too. Because yeah. Yeah. You said you'd come back to another one of our events and when time permits, hopefully if people invite you to car shows or get togethers that 
hopefully you'll come out and hang out some more with us. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I had a great time. You know, I really did. It was like the only thing that made it weird was all the cars. <laughs> Everything like talking with you guys, going to lunch, drinking beers. That's shit that everybody does on a daily basis with their friends. Right. So that aspect of it wasn't uncomfortable. Like somebody, you know, if we were drinking beers or having lunch, somebody asked me a question, it would be no different than me having lunch with a buddy here and him asking me a question about my life here in Cincinnati. You know what I mean? So like that aspect of it was easy to slip into for me because everybody was so nice. There was, you know, nobody was being a jackass or, you know, and I wasn't fucking hammered doing stupid shit and pissing (laughs) people off or the cops weren't there. And, you know, but so like, but then when, what was very surreal and when reality started to set in, was like the next morning I'd go out with my coffee and smoke and see all the cars. And I'm like, oh, yeah, reality check. You know, this is what you're up here for. This is what's going on. And I really want to say this, too, and I I hope you use this because um, it has to do with my mom. So right before I I went up there, I think I talked to her on a Saturday, and then I was leaving on Wednesday. And we're talking, and I told her. This was like, I had known I was going up there for months and I didn't say anything to anybody except for work. Cause I had to get the time off. Yeah. And so she's like, what? And I was like, yeah, I'm going up to this, you know, dad, this car show in Chicago and they're helping me up, get up there and taking care of me up there and stuff like that. And she's like, you go up there, you know, you should be, you know, very proud of your father's work. He's a brilliant engineer. He was who he was, you know, and it wasn't always good, but his life's work was good. And that really hit me because there was a little bit of probably bad blood between my father and my mother, you know, by the time they got divorced. Yeah. And for her to turn around almost 30, 35 years and say something like that to me, which maybe she has said it, but I don't ever remember it. So for me, it was like kind of a first time thing. And she goes, you know, you go up there, you'd be an ambassador, you'd be nice. You, and then that's when she goes, you put on a nice shirt, and a nice pair of pants, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, fuck, man, I'm going through my closet and it's like all, you know, military <laughs> green and black and jeans, you know? So I'm like, okay. So I picked out all the best t-shirts I had, the ones that didn't have holes in them. And, uh, <laughs> You know, and so that kind of, that helped me get up there and interact with you guys. That first day, I didn't really interact with a lot of people just because I'd been on the road for about 12 hours. Yeah. So by, you know, going from Cincinnati up to Rich's barn and getting a big tour of like the D-Rex and the limo and talking with him. I mean, we talked for a while and then took back roads all the way up to Crystal Lake. So, you know, that was another couple hours or whatever it was. So by the time I got up there, got done with dinner which was a great experience. My first dinner at the DCS, I was wore out, man. I was like, dude, I got to, <laughs> I was like, I need a goddamn beer and go to bed. So, <laughs> I'm guessing you're not used to kind of being center of attention for a bunch of people. Uh, no, no, <laughs> no, not unless I'm standing in front of a judge. <laughs> so, uh, which has happened a few times in my, <laughs> in my lifetime, but. So you're talking about your mom. That's awesome that you told her and that she had that great experience. Have you talked to her since DCS? Did you tell her how it went? I talked to her um, one day when I was up there. I forget what day. We talked for about five minutes. And then I put a call into her, I don't know, like this Thursday or something like that. Uh, So I'll give her a call today, see if we can catch up. Nice. Yeah, so I haven't really talked to her, actually talked to her since uh, I was probably up at DCS. 
Well, at some point when we talk again, unless it's too private because you don't need to share everything, but hopefully uh, she'll be happy to know that you had a good time and have found another community to be part of that we want you to be part of. Yeah, that was pretty that was pretty crazy, you know, to be invited and to hear some of the things, you know, you're part of this community now. It's like people see me walking down the street with my dog. Usually it's like, oh, fuck, here comes Zach and Abel. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, I'm not really too many people's communities. You know, and that's mostly because the lifestyle that I've chosen or has created for myself throughout sure. quite a few decades and things like that. So to hear that is, you know, I don't hear that every day. Actually, never. You know, so it, was, it that it being up there and hearing all this stuff and talking with people and stuff, it it, it, it was a very profound experience for me. Good, and I will say, you know, people. Not every uh, every DeLorean owner is the same. I I have sat with DeLorean owners at car shows who scream at visitors because they put their finger on the DeLorean because they're not used to stainless steel. And I'm embarrassed when I've been with those owners because it's like, these are fans. It's not like they're jumping on the hood or climbing in the car and slashing the the seats. They're touching the stainless. So relax, (laughs) right? So there are some owners that are jerks. But for the most part, this community is friendly and everybody loves the same thing and we're all fans of your dad and i know i'm excited to see you at other stuff and hear about you going to other delorean car shows and there's a lot of delorean uh, clubs around the country so if you ever do travel go anywhere else reach out to tamir or rich or myself or whoever you do know we'll hook you up with whoever the local owners are and you get to meet some more people and i know owners would love to meet you and get to know you and hear your story and just have you hang out. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there are DMC owners out there that like, if you, if you breathe on the car wrong, like <laughs> they'll freak the fuck out. Yeah. My advice to those people is just go get a bottle of Jack fucking joint and go sit in the woods <laughs> under a tree for a little while and chill the fuck out, man. Just, and not to undermine anything with the DMC community, but it's, you know, at the end of the day, it is just a car. If somebody touches it. It's not going to break. Right. It's great that there's that kind of community out there where people are warm and accepting that own these cars because that's what's going to keep the car alive. Yes. That's the important thing, I think, is like the people that own the cars that are keeping the memory of the car alive and what the my dad was trying to do with the car and building the plant and bringing jobs to Northern Ireland and trying to give uh, a guy who makes twenty thirty thousand dollars $30,000 a year a sports car that looked good perform somewhat pretty well and something that they could afford and drive. Yep. For sure. Owners definitely will want to get to know you more as you feel more comfortable and you want to hang out. There's a lot of good people out there. We're all fans of your dad. Uh, We're all fans of the car and yeah, just looking forward to seeing you at more stuff. Part of the pleasure of getting to know you at at DCS was you're just a normal guy. That's you're not stuck on yourself and you're fun. Uh, You know, I mean, when, Two governments go after your father, break up your family and shit. I, I, I just don't know if there's anything else out there that I really need to be afraid of. Yeah. So, and I've been kicked in the ball so many times and had to get back up that, you know, whether it's my doing or XYZ's doing or family or governments or whatever. I mean, you know, and that's what my dad always tried to tell me was, listen, man, when you get knocked the fuck down, you better get up and go back to work or go, you know, you could just get back up and do your shit. Yeah. Zach, again, I'm so thankful that you're willing to take the time. This is great to catch up with you. I mentioned before, if you're willing to do another call, I think there's going to be a lot of good questions from other owners 
uh, and you know, we'll, you and I will keep in touch and we'll do another call and answer some questions that other owners have that I didn't ask or that I didn't touch on. Yeah. If there's something that you need clarification on or, you know, whatever, I mean, just give me a call and we can set up a time and I'd be more than happy to talk to you again. Awesome. Thanks again, Zach. Pleasure. And uh, welcome to the family, to our family. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Cool, man. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Zach DeLorean. Be sure to send emails to comments at DeLoreanTalk.com. Please be sure to share any of the DeLorean Talk or DeLorean Directory social media when you see posts out there. And uh, we're looking forward to getting more episodes done. So drive safe and keep that stainless polished. 